0: This episode is brought to you in part by HazelAid.com. HazelAid is an online retailer of natural therapeutic hazelwood and Baltic amber jewelry based out of Montreal. With over 700 unique sizes, colors, and styles, there's something for everyone. Hazelwood is a natural way to address acid-related issues like heartburn, acid reflux, and even some kinds of eczema. Baltic amber is useful in naturally treating pain and inflammation. Visit HazelAid.com and use the coupon code UPFORD to get 10% off your order.
1: Hi, I'm Hannah Bailey and I'm Tafara Jemian. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club and you're invited.
0: Yeah. yeah! Today, we're continuing our special series in collaboration with Montreal YAFest, where we've been interviewing several of Montreal YAFest's featured authors and event organizers. During this period, we're alternating our regular book review content with the YAFest promotional content, giving you new content every week. Today, we're talking with Sabina Khan, the author of The Love and Lies of Riksana Ali. She's an educational consultant and karaoke enthusiast. After living in Germany, Bangladesh, Macau, Illinois, and Texas, she has finally settled down in beautiful British Columbia, Canada, with her husband and three daughters, one of whom is a fur baby. Sabina, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here today.
1: Yeah. So first off, can you tell us a little bit about how, when and how you started writing? When did you write your first book and what led you to that?
2: Um, I wrote my first book uh, around 2014. And I ended up self-publishing that. Uh, it was a, um, a like Indian Hindu mythology, Hindu-based uh, fantasy for, for young adults. And I the reason I wanted to write that is um, a few years before that my daughter, who was in fourth grade at the time, really got obsessed with Rick Riordan's Percy Jackson series. Mm-hmm. And so she was really, um, Delving into, you know, researching everything to do with mythology. And I was so excited to see her, you know, so obsessed with a book series and the subject matter. Then I started looking around and because like, I'm, I myself, I'm Muslim, but my husband's Hindu. And I've always been fascinated with the religion and, the, you know, the, the the gods and goddesses. And just everything is so, uh, there's so many powerful female females um, in there in, in the in the religion and so uh, in the pantheon and so I started looking for books that might be about Hindu mythology and I was really sad when I couldn't find any um, so my daughter was reading Greek mythology and Roman mythology and everything but she couldn't find it. there was nothing there from our culture from the Indian you know from South Asia and it really disappointed me and so I decided that I would just write one myself. Obviously, it was a lot harder than I imagined. And so when I and I just wrote it by myself, like I didn't have a critique group or anything. And so I wrote it. And then I did hire freelance editors and um, proofreaders and everything. Um, but I didn't really query that book at all. I just wanted to learn the process by myself. So and then this was at a time when there was a lot of talk about self publishing. And you know, so I, I kind of went to some workshops and learned as much as I could about it and then I just put it on Amazon basically and um and and it was a really good experience it was pretty well received but obviously I didn't have the budget or the know-how really to promote it the way it needed to be promoted um plus I had a day job and my kids were younger so uh and it was supposed to be a trilogy but then I sort of I was kind of disappointed uh, in myself a little bit after, and I just never got around to finishing the second book. But around that time, my daughter, uh, like a few years later, when my daughter was 17, uh, she came out to us as bisexual. And that's when I started thinking of writing a contemporary uh, with an LGBTQ protagonist
0: so that's great what a great story i love that Mm -hmm. um do you have a title for that you may have said it earlier but uh, for your first book uh yeah it's
2: called realm of
0: the goddess okay yeah
2: i i i I mean i know that a lot of libraries in canada have it okay It's, it's in the libraries but it's not available on amazon anymore
0: okay Okay. Um, I love mythology. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. My, my first love is definitely fantasy. This is off the questions, <laughs> but we've just finished a series of, of looking at um, fantasy by black authors. And it's been so exciting to see like other mythologies at play in fantasy. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yes. yeah, like exploring
1: non-Western
2: okay.
0: fantasy. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. It's great. And that's what it's so fascinating because I mean, first of all, it's really good for the kids. Mm -hmm. Um, especially because in in middle like in grade four or five they are they do mythology units in school and and like you know i live in vancouver it's such a diverse population and how cool for the kids to to learn about mythologies that come from their own cultures as including you know as well as roman and greek mythology so you know i mean just, just there's so many different aspects and I think it's an excellent um, way to introduce them to that.
1: Totally. And so you've touched on this a little bit, talking about your daughters. What is there anything else that that makes you specifically want to write YA, write for teens?
2: Um, yeah, I think it's because I never had YA when I was growing up. Uh, like when, when I was I was a, I started reading in the hospital after an append like after I had my appendix taken out, and okay. somebody brought me a book. My sister gave me a graphic novel, and then someone's aunt gave me a book. And i just got hooked on reading that i was never without a book um and so i started reading and i read children's books and i was living in germany at the time so i was reading them in german but then when we moved to where my 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 father's from in, in bangladesh uh, when i was eight i switched over like i had to learn english so i had to read obviously i, I started reading my books in english um but once I was like 12 or so, I read, like I kind of lost interest in the children's books. So I was looking for something else, but there wasn't there wasn't anything with teen protagonists. So I just went straight to adult at a very young age, reading adult books. And at, at a certain point, they were extremely, I'm pretty sure they were very inappropriate for my age, but <laughs> I just read them anyway. My parents had no idea what I was reading by that time. They just saw me with the book all the time. And so and my friends and I would exchange like if we found a really good author that we liked or a series, we would, you know, sort of exchange with each other and trade off. And just kind of, you know, um, we were just really obsessed with books and I wasn't sport athletic or anything. So I just sat at home and read books a lot. But yeah, I think when my older daughter, she's 24 now when she was going through like when she she was an avid reader as, as a teen as well and so when she was reading her books and she would talk to me about them i realized that i didn't even know the books she was talking about so i started reading them really just to way to kind of have another thing in common with her that we could talk about and i just got really hooked on the the voice like i loved the teen voice and it was so fresh and it was so relatable to me because i had teens i had a teen and a preteen and i work with teens I'm, a, I'm an educational consultant so it just really sounded so fresh and just really great to me. And so that's when, you know, so I, I just always wanted to write middle grade and teen. So I, like young adults, So I'm really glad that I got to write my first book was young adult. So, I mean, although I do plan to write middle grade as well, but I really, really connect with young adult, And I think it's just the inner teen in me that never got those books.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well- there's something so special about young adult fiction as a genre and kind of the stories that mm-hmm. it allows you to explore. Absolutely. It's interesting. We've asked this question to, to a few different authors, and I've, I don't think we've ever gotten quite that answer before, that it's something that you wish you'd had as a teenager. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's, it's an exciting genre. That's very, that's very cool. Uh so so you talked about sort of some of the books that you were reading with your daughter once you sort of started to discover the genre. What are some what are some books or authors that you feel like have really influenced or impacted you?
2: Oh, um well I, I think as far as just writing the I was reading adult books that when I started thinking about writing myself, I was reading a lot of Indo-Canadian authors once I moved to Canada from the States. And I started reading Rohinton Mystery and Chitra Banerjee and um just so many, uh, uh, not just just not just South Asian, but also like Khalid Hosseini and uh, Bharati Mukherjee, who I, I believe she is Indo-Canadian as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were a lot of, and and at the time when I started thinking about writing, I mean I used to think about writing when I was a little girl, right. but I sort of you know got caught up with life and jobs and responsibilities uh, okay. along the way. But when I kind of what rekindled spark was really reading about the immigrant experience when i was a new immigrant myself and and so that's what really sort of started me you know on this writing journey i guess in my mind at least although i wasn't writing anything at the time but i was thinking about it and dreaming about it and reading these books by women who were like me who had come as adults to north america and how they were adjusting and when they got married and had kids how they you know, how they lived their lives and how they adjusted to everything was very relevant to me at the time. And it made me feel less alone and kind of, you know, just it's nice to know that even though it's not exactly around you, your immediate vicinity, but there are people in the same continent that are feeling, you know, they're in the same situation. So so that's what really got me into writing to begin with. But uh, that really like influenced my writing because I like the way the, the voices in those stories as well. And then as far as my daughter's books um she was reading i can uh, i think maria v snyder that was uh, there's this uh, it's called poison study and i can't remember the rest of it it's like a series and my daughter was obsessed mm-hmm. and of course there was the twilight phase which
1: mm-hmm. I,
2: I i loved read i loved reading those books with my
0: daughter and watching the movies with my daughter it was such a great way to connect and i love vampires mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. werewolves oh i was literally just talking with uh, J. F. Dubo dubois who's the last the last author interview and we were just talking about the ubiquitousness of Twilight Mm -hmm. that just everybody trashes Twilight constantly but everybody brings up Twilight (laughs) like like no matter what it always comes up.
2: I I don't you know I I get the feel like you know I when I was reading it I wasn't writing or anything I was just reading it for pleasure because my Mm -hmm. daughter was so obsessed and you know, I was like, okay, I want to read this series that all these kids are talking about, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed it. I mean, yeah. I know people are supposed to not like it, but I really enjoyed it. I, I didn't like, I wasn't analyzing it for writing or being very, you know, critical. I was just reading it as, as a reader, and, mm-hmm. and I mean, I know people. I don't know. I, I hear a lot of things. But I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't like the first movie particularly; it was mm-hmm. bad. <laughs> but the, the books themselves, I enjoyed reading them. I, mean, I, I thought it was fun, and you know, obviously. You no know, vampires and werewolves are not real and it's not a you know it's not a textbook it's it's supposed to be for for pleasure and and and, and it got people reading I mean I know people were reading people who maybe weren't necessarily avid readers were reading yeah. this book because they caught up in the hype and that's always a
0: good thing yeah we've talked a lot about how how YA kind of rejuvenates storytelling and lets writing mm-hmm. be about storytelling for, for mm-hmm. exactly. foremost um, and mm-hmm. I think that's kind of you know Twilight maybe Stephanie Meyer wasn't the best writer but she spun a great story mm-hmm. um, exactly and that's, that. what,
2: that's what that's what I mean like I mean there's a point I, f- I feel I have to say um once once I now that I am a writer it's really hard for me to re- read anything without <laughs> analyzing it to death and I'm a little bit sad that I don't have that sort of innocence that I used to have when I read yeah. something and enjoy it and sometimes I loved it sometimes I was like meh but, you know, like I wasn't analyzing every line or or kind of you know, think overthinking it. and And I think that's important, too, just to read just for the sake of reading a story, just to hear a
0: story, you know? Absolutely, Mm -hmm. yeah. So tell us a little bit about The Love and Lies of Riksana Ali. You mentioned that it came out of, uh, in part, out of your daughter coming out to you. Um, Can you tell Mm -hmm. us just a little bit more about how that story developed, how the character developed? Oh, yeah,
2: absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, like I said, so my daughter was 17, and we've always had, we have a very open relationship with our daughters, and Mm -hmm. so she wasn't worried about anything. And I suspected long before she told us uh-huh. Um, that she was queer, but, you know, I waited for her to let us know. And so when she told us, she was also talking about, she was very active in her GSA club at school, mm-hmm. in her high school, and she had other friends who were also queer, and they were kids of color. And, and and so she would tell us about kids, not only kids of color, but just other teens in her class who were who were kind of afraid of coming out to their parents or to anybody, mm-hmm. and they didn't feel safe, and some of them who did come out weren't being treated very well, Um, Nothing, you know, nothing extreme, but just not good. Like, they weren't being treated well by their parents. They they were regretting that they came out to their parents. And it made me think, and because I come from a very conservative community, religious community, like I said, my family is Muslim and my husband's family is Hindu. And even that, when we got married, it was such, it was such a difficult time in our Mm -hmm. lives waiting, trying to get them to accept our relationship. That when this happened, you know, when she was telling me about her friends and I was thinking, you know, ima- I was trying to imagine if my daughter had been born into a different family, a family where, you know, they were very strict and weren't willing to even entertain anything like this or weren't accepting of of, of queerness. Um, I, I started thinking that, you know, this would be an interesting story to write uh, just to showcase how dangerous it can be for for queer people of color to come out or just to exist mm-hmm. and not just in in Bangladesh or India or Pakistan or, or any other country but also here in in the in, the, in North America mm-hmm. as well and and so I started doing some research and I would have conversations with my daughter and I started looking around for books and I did find really two really great books by Sarah Farazan. Um, tell me how a crush should feel, and if you could, if you could be mine. Mm-hmm. Those are the two. And she's since written a third book recently, but those two were a few years ago, and those were the only two books I found which had Muslim queer characters. Yeah. And and I really love them. And at the same time, uh, in twenty fifteen, I believe Aisha Saeed wrote a book called Written in the Stars, and it was about a, a Pakistani Muslim teenager who had a boyfriend and was caught, and you know. Uh, and it, it had to do with forced marriage and just everything she went through. And I started thinking that, you know, if if my daughter had been born or if any Muslim teen or a Muslim teen from a very conservative family is either caught or comes out to their families, the, the consequences would be quite devastating. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's honor killings, there are forced marriages, there's so many different negative, bad, sad scenarios that could happen. And so that's when really I started thinking about it, and then so I started doing research, and in my research I found something really sad. In 2016, um, in Bangladesh, there were a couple of LGBTQ activists who were, you know, online bloggers and who were, who were, you know, who had a like an online presence and a, and a magazine, and they were um, they were killed, like they were literally cut to pieces, mm-hmm. like physically they were cut to pieces, and and just. It was so horrible, like that thought, and, and the fact that, you know, these two human beings who were just trying to live their lives and help other people were so brutally killed just because they were gay. It, and, and in a country where I have such happy memories, I mean, I lived in Bangladesh all, all through my teens since I was until I was 26, and I loved my life there, and I loved my community, and I never felt... Uh, You know, like I could wear what I wanted. I was like, you know, my my parents weren't super conservative. My relatives weren't super conservative. So I had a really good life there. And to think that if my daughter decided to go back there as a queer person, she might not even be safe. And Mm -hmm. that thought really terrified me. And I was like, wow, this is something that, you know, I I need to write about Uh, just for my own sake and just kind of to to kind of just tell the story. And so really that's what uh, i did but i also wanted the story to have a happy ending i wanted this girl to be strong and even though she's conflicted and she's going through all this you know bad this bad treatment of her and she's also at the same time so determined and brave that she won't give up and she's and it's not a coming out story and it's not really a Mm -hmm. romance um you know she we know she's gay from the beginning and she has a girlfriend but that's not the center of the story, really. The center of the story is her acceptance of, or her, um, her trying to carve out a space for herself where she can be who she wants to be with all Mm -hmm. the the different parts of her identity. Mm -hmm. Because she has, she lives, she exists at this intersection. She's South Asian, she's the daughter of immigrants, she's Muslim, she's queer, she's a woman of color. There's so many things. But there's all other things as well, like she wants to be an astrophysicist, she wants to just be a typical teenager, she just wants to enjoy her life and, you know, f- chase after her dreams and ambitions. And all of that is at risk, simply because of who she loves. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and to me, that is like a real tragedy. It's, you know, like if, if a young person who has such promise and such a great future uh, doesn't get an opportunity to live that future because they happen to love you know, someone of the same gender or whoever it is or say like and, and I know I, I know how that feels, how devastating that feels because, you know, when people discriminate against you or they judge you for who you love, now whether it's because of who you love or the color of your skin or what religion you follow, it's all the same. The pain that they inflict is exactly the same. The reason isn't the reason doesn't make a difference. It's really their treatment of you and how they make you feel. And how excluded you feel and judged you feel, you know, all of those things are the same. So I can feel, even though I'm not queer, I can feel how she would feel or how my daughter would feel if somebody said, no, you know, there's something wrong about you because you love a girl or because you love somebody who's not in your you know, from your religion. Mm -hmm. Any of those things, it it doesn't matter. It's the same pain that you feel. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And and I love how the book explores that with um with the connection that Roxana has to Irfan and Sarah and kind of you really do a good job of kind of developing that that idea of sort of shared experiences even though the experiences are different.
2: Mm-hmm. And and I I really and I really wanted to showcase that I'm glad you said that I really wanted to showcase that that you know there these are all issues that we face as immigrants or children of immigrants and. Even if you're not a child of an immigrant, even if you're just, you know, even if you have like three generations of people who lived here in in Mm -hmm. North America, generally U.S., Canada, whatever, but it's still the same thing. I mean, you're facing these issues because of these perceived differences that don't actually mean, they they shouldn't actually be a reason to, to drive people apart. You know, like it's, it's amazing. It's, it's such a gift to be living in a community where people come from different cultures, different religious communities. You know, they eat different food, they pre- celebrate different things mm-hmm. that should bring us together because that, that should be something that we want to learn and we want to share. But that should never be the basis of like, you know, hatred or trying to separate two people that love one another. I mean, that's just silly. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense to me, you know?
0: What I really loved is that um, throughout the book, you can, you can tell that Roxana is really torn between her family who understands her sort of culturally and her friends who understand her as a lesbian and accept her. And um, what I really loved was that at the end, there's this beautiful synthesis of those two worlds, she doesn't have to give one up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. She gets to be her full self. She gets to be supported and affirmed in mm-hmm. in all the parts of her. Mm-hmm. And um, like I'm literally getting chills talking about it. It's just <laughs> it it was so exciting for me, mm-hmm. and that happy ending was so unexpected. Mm-hmm. I finished it and just felt so satisfied and so pleased because it's so rare that we get that narrative where she doesn't have to give anything up. And I did Mm want to hear a little bit just about writing her parents and writing that journey. Um, Because I thought a a lot about uh, Gloria Chow's American Panda, which we read last year, and we met Gloria Chow at Fest last year. But that story ends with uh, her having to set really firm boundaries with her parents and really losing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so seeing that arc from sort of a warm but hidden relationship to just... total catastrophe to finding resolution and, and love and affirmation and trying to set her up with a nice Bangladeshi girl, um, <laughs> yeah. I- I'd love to just hear about that experience, especially for you as a parent.
2: So, yeah, I'm really glad you, you were, you're asking this question. Um, a lot of that had to do with my own experience after I married my husband. Mm-hmm. Um so when I told my parents and this was 25 years ago like my husband and I've been married for 25 years when I told my parents that I'd found someone who was special and we wanted to get married um they they completely freaked out uh, I was told never to call again that they would just you know just pretend that they never had me and and so it was such a um it was such a shock to hear that from parents who weren't particularly religious and they never really pushed religion on me at all and I never expected them to react in that way. Um, and so because in, on paper, my husband would be exactly the kind of guy they would have looked for me, mm-hmm. with the exception mm-hmm. that he was not Muslim, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I was really surprised and, and, and shocked and really hurt. And then um, now my parents act as though my husband walks on water yeah and so mm-hmm. it's such a and, and so you know it and and sometimes i watch them with my husband and i think they almost like him better than they like me <laughs> and and i sometimes watch them together and i'm i just i'm just marvel at the change i mean it wasn't as uh, it didn't take 25 years for them to change they mm-hmm. it didn't take them long enough long at all um i mean having a couple of grandkids helps always <laughs> yeah. um yeah. you yeah. know but it was just miraculous to watch the change, and I'm like, really, like interesting how, you know, once you get to know a person, you realize it doesn't matter at all that he prays differently or whatever, because he's from the same culture. Like, you know, my they, they share the same language, they like the same, they have the same childhood memories. My husband has the same childhood memories of certain kinds of foods that my parents do, and they connect. That's what people connect, you know, mm-hmm. connect with that that's what they can relate to like food is a huge thing right like you relate with food you have like oh my god you know remember we used to eat blah 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 and then you haven't eaten it for 20 years and all of a sudden your husband your son-in-law produces it from somewhere (laughs) and and it's just like a big love fest and i i just i've been watching them over the years and like okay it's not just that i had really cute babies to you know to to kind of sweeten the deal type of thing they really like my husband like they really like him and i was like wow and of course if I ever asked them they would completely deny that they ever didn't like him. And so I don't bring it up but I know I remember every word. And so you know and and so ultimately what I what you know when my kids were getting older and I started kind of thinking the way my parents were thinking 25 years ago mm-hmm. as far as you know being protective of your kids and worrying about who they end up with type of thing and you know wanting them to be safe and happy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what I realized is that it's basically it's the not knowing that makes people act crazy you know like you don't Mm -hmm. know this person you don't know and you're so protective of your children you only you know you're very suspicious of anyone who tries to get close to them and you know if your daughter calls you and says hey guess what i met somebody and i'm going to get married and yes i know you've never met him before Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and so and then you tell every tell them everything about him and then they pick the one thing they can hold on to and say, no, no way, no, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. Because they're afraid, they, they, they're they afraid for their child. I mean, even mm-hmm. though I was 26 at the time, apparently I was still their child, you know, in their <laughs> yeah. minds I was still a child. And my daughter's 24 now, and I, I, I mean, I wouldn't ever get mad at her for falling in love with someone who wasn't from my religion. I don't care about that at all. But I would certainly be, I'm, I'm constantly terrified of her, of her getting into an accident or, you know being mm-hmm. hurt by somebody
0: yeah
2: and so and i think that sense of protectiveness and that fear for your children leads you to be so dramatic and to take these drastic steps which unfortunately sometimes drive a wedge between you permanently yeah and so mm-hmm. you know and and so with ruxana's parents too for them for their upbringing this is such a foreign concept and mm-hmm. they've been programmed to think that it's bad in the mm-hmm. eyes of god in their minds it's bad because that's what they've been taught. And they haven't been exposed to the to the community or any discussion even about it. Because when mm-hmm. I was growing up, I I didn't even know what it was, what it meant to be queer until I was much older. And I certainly didn't know anybody personally until I came to college in the States. And, you know, and then, of course, I started hearing all the things people say. And I remember thinking, wow, like people have such a such a like a bad attitude and and such bad beliefs about this you know
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so but but what I was saying is like when I was growing up I never heard or did, had any discussions about this so you know from her so her parents are immigrants they've never had this either they weren't brought up the way Roxana, you know their mm-hmm. life wasn't the same as her life is and so to them this is such a bad negative thing in their whole community that's what they've been fed is that this mm-hmm. is wrong this is bad you know this we don't accept this and so in their minds, they're thinking, oh, my goodness, my child is going down the wrong path. She's going to get hurt. And then at the same time, they're hearing news from their country about people getting killed for this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, in some warped way, they're trying to protect. They, they think they're protecting their daughter and preventing her from making a big mistake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's only after Sohail is killed yeah. that they realize, my God, you know, I could have lost my child. And it's sort of and mm-hmm. it's a horrible way to you know, and I've had a lot of reviews a lot of comments on like, you know, how I shouldn't have used this as a plot device or, you know, people get angry. But the thing is, I wanted to, first of all, I really wanted to write about this because it really happened. I mean, Mm -hmm. it really happened to people in my country. And it's just something nobody's talking about it. People don't even know about it. It was like a Like, you know, it was in the news cycle for a bit and then it's just gone. It's like these two people just never existed. yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. And everyone else
2: has gone underground. Everyone else who was part of that community has gone underground out of fear for their lives and rightfully so. But Mm -hmm. it's heartbreaking to think that these people literally were killed for this and now people don't even know about them. And, you know, and people don't even understand. And, and, uh, you know, like it's just something which is so heinous and the fact that yes her parent and and that's why i made sure that she addresses this as well that why did it take the death of a human being for you to realize mm-hmm. yeah. that you're wrong yeah. that you're you know you're handling this wrong and yes it is a very sad heartbreaking thing but it's also not untrue and unrealistic unfortunately sometimes that's what it takes it takes sometimes a suicide attempt or an actual death for people to realize wow like i've been so mistaken I've been so wrong all my life right Mm -hmm.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and it is
2: a very harsh way I guess to to realize but I did want readers to come out feeling like you were saying feeling satisfied that yes she didn't have to give up everything you know Mm -hmm. her parents ultimately her parents they're not evil yeah they're just you know mis intent misinformed and they they just they just they're just handling it very poorly uh, to say the least but they're not evil people they do love their daughter they do want what's best for their daughter and once they realize that you know they're looking at this completely in the wrong way they come around and i i wanted to you know and once they come around they're all like okay yes we're gonna find you somebody like, yeah, we want you yeah. To be happy. So we have to find you a bengali lesbian we'll go
0: <laughs> yeah
2: you know and and I, I and i know it's so like because i've seen like I've, i have aunts who make these comments Mm-hmm. these kind not not about being queer but just comments about my husband being Hindu and it's hilarious like you know they'll be planning a me- they'll invite us to their house and then when they discover that he's Hindu you can see them in their minds re uh, re-pro- re read uh, arranging the menu yeah. because they they're assuming that he doesn't eat beef yeah uh, because traditionally Hindus don't eat beef and so they're like oh and it's hilarious because that's their focus. It's yeah. not like, oh my God, how did you marry a Hindu? You're Muslim. How could you do that? Mm-hmm. Instead, they're thinking, okay, now I can't serve anything with beef. <laughs> and, and, I, and this happened. And I remember this happened years ago when I was visiting Bangladesh with my kids, and my husband was supposed to come, and they were all excited to meet him. And in that afternoon was when they found out that he's not Muslim. And it was mm-hmm. literally I saw the wheels turning in their heads, and I was it was so hard for me not to start laughing. And mm-hmm. I never forgot that feeling, and I was thinking. They don't care. They just want to have a good dinner party. Yeah. You know, and they just want to make sure that they don't they don't serve anything that he can't eat. And it's hilarious because a lot of people from my culture really do focus on like Bengali especially focus a lot on food. Like I'm mm-hmm. like that too. Like I always want to feed people mm-hmm. when they come to my mm-hmm. house. And so you're always thinking, okay, what can I serve that is good for them that you know they'll enjoy that won't I don't know be too spicy or go against their religious beliefs or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. It's never like oh I have like a Hindu person coming to my house I can't have that that's not how they think you know Mm -hmm. so so a lot of that sort of came from my years of interacting with my I have a lot of aunts uh, (laughs) and uncles and like a huge family so. Just a lot of interactions with them sort of made it into into the story in some way or another.
0: Yeah, I loved all the concern with is the food too spicy? Can you like <laughs> can you eat it? <laughs> yeah. Well that kind of explains some of the things we were we were talking about actually. Mm-hmm. We were talking about just the diversity of adults in ruksana's life. Um mm-hmm. and I loved that she had the one um uncle whose name I can't remember now, but who from Maru? the beginning Maru, yeah, yeah. Maru, who was yeah. always kind Maru. of an yeah. ally. Um mm-hmm and then she just has relationships with so many different
1: adults um mm-hmm. and and the thing that struck us was the different ways in which they all like show love to her like you have the very the tenderness of her grandmother mm-hmm. <laughs> And, mm-hmm. and then the, the very, the evolution with her parents and then uh, her auntie whose name I'm forgetting momentarily um, at the end who is just, needs to find her a good Bengali lesbian. Yeah, and it's and just, Nina. yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And it's it's beautiful sort of the diversity of different expressions of adult love that, that you have.
2: I'm, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, it, and it's because, you know, like I said, when I was growing up, I had, my, my, my dad had like 12 siblings so, uh, and, you know, so combined with my dad's family and my mom's family, I've it's like the whole spectrum of personalities, <laughs> uh, you know. And, and you know how you have that cool uncle or cool aunt that is, like, totally woke, I guess, yeah. you know. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: and, and Uncle Maruf is that. And, mm-hmm. and I just loved writing him. And I also loved that he was such an opposing force with Auntie Mina, who was really mm-hmm. very petty and kind of not, not necessarily, you know, like kind of like the gossipy kind, focusing mm-hmm. on, like, Things that nobody cares about, um, but then in the end, yeah, and and you know, so so that's the thing. Like, it's a lot of it is, you know, a lot of people react the way they do because of community pressure. Mm-hmm. Even if they think something's okay, they don't want to say it out loud or they want to acknowledge or admit that because everyone else will, you know, what they're worried about what everyone else will think and. Mm-hmm. Um, when it boils down to when you know, when you boil it down, it's a lot of it. It's some people are stronger in the sense that they don't care what others think of them, mm-hmm. and some people are consumed with what everyone else will say. And so, you know, her parents, a lot of what they, what, a lot of their behavior is attributed to what the community will say, mm-hmm. you know, what people are going to say about her being queer or about her going away to college uh-huh. or whatever, right? Um, and like uh, Uncle Maruf is very he's just he doesn't care like he's he's very you know progressive in his thinking mm-hmm. and I also wanted, didn't want readers to come away with the idea that all Bengali people or all Muslim people are the same because they're yeah. not just like not all Christian people or Catholic people or yeah. you know any anyone or Canadian people nobody's mm-hmm. all the same right no, they, there's yeah. a there's people that are, you know, have all sorts of people, and I really wanted to show that. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I grew up with so many relatives who were all very different. You know, the, you know, I had my favorite uncle and aunt, and I had my least favorite uncle and aunt, and everything mm-hmm. in between. Mm-hmm. And and growing up at different stages in my life, you know, mm-hmm. um, you connect with some people more, you relate to them, you have happy memories of some people, and you remember the unkind things that people say to you as well, even as a child. Yeah, remember those things because they. They hurt you in a certain way, and it stays with you. You know, it doesn't define you, but it stays with you, and um, that's something I really wanted to showcase as well. That you know, and and also, people can change. People can be, uh, you know, horrible and narrow-minded because they haven't learned or they haven't seen something, and once they have that experience, they can. They're capable of change in a mm-hmm. good way. It happens all the time. And it's not just parents. It can be like, you know, like Auntie Mina Mm -hmm. uh, turned out to be really sweet. And Mm -hmm. she looked, uh, you know, she found the support group and everything. And so when she decided that it was okay with her, she went all out to be supportive.
0: Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. I was thinking about the support group and how nice it is to have... You know, there's this concern with what will people say, what will people say. And then what a support group provides is a bunch okay. of people who will say the right things and the affirming things mm-hmm. and the helpful things.
2: And, mm-hmm. and you know, here in I live in a like I live outside just outside of Vancouver and Surrey mm-hmm. and a very large um, in, in South Asian population. And there are communities, there are organizations like that for queer South Asians and Mm -hmm. you know because it's hard for them to find the support just generally in the community Mm -hmm. in their own community so they you know and so I mean I haven't I I don't know anyone I know of it you know I haven't personally uh, talked to anyone but I'm assuming since it's there it's it's a a positive you know space Mm -hmm. Uh, and also a lot of like what my daughter tells me about her GSA club because again like I said our our school population is very diverse Mm -hmm. um there's there's lots of queer kids of color at her school and they feel safe in a place. And, you know, they have a teacher sponsor. So there are adults there who are also very supportive and they're allies and, and all of that helps them. So, you know, I wanted to, you know, create this support group where the, the parents can realize that, hey, we are not the only ones. And there are other people and who also change so, you know, like just for them to see a parent who initially was very much opposing or against their children being queer and have now come around. It's, and, and they're at this, uh, you know, when, when they go, when Roxana goes with her parents, they meet several families who have already gone through that stage and they're now completely okay. And, you know, they have, they're have they happy with their kids, right? So so I wanted, I, I feel like, you know, I mean, I don't know how true it is you know that kind of rapport or you know if if that's something that actually exists and but I'm I'm pretty sure and it would be nice
1: yeah
0: I really appreciated that the tension with her friends is her Mm -hmm. friends not understanding at all that it is dangerous Mm -hmm. for her to come out as a teenager Mm -hmm. And and I mean, you know, I think if I was talking to Roxana, if she was a teenager I knew and she was talking to me, I would say, hang in there, come out to your parents once you're in university. Like,
1: mm-hmm. wait till mm-hmm.
0: you have independence. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just, just I, I really appreciated you bringing that experience in and was thinking mm-hmm. just about how much the culture has changed now because I feel like when I was in high school, my friends understood not feeling safe coming out to your parents. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I they get did that, they I, didn't? Well, for me, well, I went to a Christian school, so that's just a completely different mm-hmm. ballgame. I'm realizing that came from being in a Christian environment where, like, yeah, you didn't mm-hmm. come out to your parents yeah. um, or your friends or anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but
1: uh, even generally when we were teenagers, I think yeah. it was generally less safe to come out than mm-hmm. it is now 10 years later.
0: And I guess it was just really ex- – well, It was it was both exciting and just, like – it's exciting to me to think that for a lot of teenagers in Canada coming out to their parents is not a big deal Mm -hmm. and I also think it is so important to like keep the narrative uh to remind people that it is not universal Mm -hmm. and that there are still a lot of teenagers who can't Mm -hmm. safely come out and that's that's a really great way of putting it exactly is that you know,
2: it's it's amazing that kids feel like, you know, this is a completely natural, normal thing. And you just tell your parents, just like my daughter told me. She said, literally sat me down. She said, Mom, I have to tell you something. Here's the thing. I'm bisexual. And that was it. We talked about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. We had a conversation and that was it. Like It was just like nothing strange or, or you know devastating or anything like that it was just a normal thing this is her you know this is who she is right and so it's amazing to know that you know like 10 20 years ago this wouldn't even even the kids would never think of telling their parents I never talked to my parents about sex yeah I mean who does that right like at that age um like it's something you just don't talk to your parents about right you just keep it to yourself and it's wonderful but again like you said exactly it's not universal a lot of communities and not just communities a lot of families even even if the communities fine, the particular individual family may not be right mm-hmm. and and in some circle in some situations it can be life-threatening to come out i mean people yeah. i don't yeah. think people understand the gravity of the situation and that's why i really wanted to have a scene where she's angry at her friends because they they dismiss it the yeah. severity yeah. of her situation they're like oh, well, you know like they almost treat it as though she's being really dramatic and it's like come on like How bad can it be? And they literally, if she tells them that I could be killed, I mean, not by her parents in her case, but people Mm -hmm. can get killed and people can be forced to get married, which, you know, in her case, her parents were trying to do. Mm -hmm. All these things can happen and nobody wants, who wants to tell their parents knowing that this could happen? I mean, why would you want? And also when you're financially dependent on your parents and they could take away your future, literally, why would mm-hmm. you want to do that? And and for her friends, and I mean, I get it. The thing is that her friends, even though they've been friends, they've been friends with her here in North America where they're just doing typical kid stuff. And, yeah. you
1: know,
2: mm-hmm. parents are fine. Just, yeah, they, your parents are a little bit stricter. You're not allowed to go to parties and stuff like that, right? But the other, this aspect is actually dangerous. So um, mm-hmm. it is something important, I think, for people to understand that it's not the same particularly for queer teens of color, it can pose an actual danger. And I, I think we need to know, we need to be aware. And even like teachers and, you know, people at school and other adults that they might turn to mm-hmm. need to know just how they, the level or mm-hmm. the, the, the actual danger that they're putting themselves in. Right? Yes. So. yes,
0: yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I mean, I've just this is just kind of final comment but I'm I'm a parent of small children so I have a five year old and mm-hmm. a six month old and reading oh. books like this with this kind of narrative gives me so much hope for the world that they're going to grow into mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just for for the way parents of your generation and our generation are really really trying to do better and really mm-hmm. trying to make a better world for their kids not just in terms of like financial or career opportunity but in terms of Nurturing and empathy and affirmation and helping them mm-hmm, be who they mm-hmm. are, mm-hmm, um, yeah. and I think just just especially knowing the backstory that this was written in so many ways for your daughter mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. means even it makes it mean even more. Uh, to me personally oh. so thank you for writing it <laughs> yeah
2: Oh, well, thank you you know uh, everything you're saying uh, it's just really touches me very deeply because when you're writing you know you're when I was writing this I, honestly I didn't think anyone would be interested in a story about a Muslim lesbian mm-hmm. you know I was like I don't know who's gonna want to read this and but I still wrote it and mm-hmm. it's just so reaffirming and so wonderful to hear people like you saying what you're saying because that's really what I wanted. I wanted, you know, for teens as well, but even also for parents. I mean, mm. for, for parents of young children or, or parents like myself, you know, maybe reading something like this. I don't know. It might, you know, they might realize something, you know, something and that'll have a positive change, positive impact on them or their relationships with their children. That would yeah. be the best Possible reward, right? So yeah. thank you so much.
1: Really <laughs> wonderful to hear this. Yeah, just just to affirm that I think when did I send you the link to this on Goodreads, Tephra? This was much think, before, like la- before the book came out. I think last summer it was or last fall. The first, the fall, first I, talk oh, of it, they released
0: like a, a sample yeah. chapter
1: or something. Yes, yeah, like last oh. summer, last fall, when the sample chapter came out, I assembled a on Goodreads, and devoured it and sent it to Tephra immediately. And I was like, when this comes out, we need to do this book.
0: So, so, then, oh, so
2: oh, that's so yeah. great. You know, because as authors, we sit and obsess and we're like, does anybody even care about my book? Or people hate me, you know? You you have so many, neg- and we focus on the negatives. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure not everybody, but I know a lot of us, we focus, we, we, know, we, we read something slightly negative and we think, oh my God, everyone hates my book. Yeah. And it means so much to hear positive comments and just that you've touched people with your words. That's a, just an amazing gift to hear that from 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 readers like yourself. So thank you so much, and thank you for inviting me on this podcast. And I had a really great time talking with you guys.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Look forward to seeing you at YAFS too. Uh, I'm so excited. So excited. I, I, I've
2: only been to I've only been to Montreal shortly, like a year, a few, a lot of years ago, like 20 years mm-hmm. ago. Okay. Just very briefly, but I haven't ever like you know visited like that. So yeah. I'm very excited.
0: Well, uh, it's been so fun. Thank you so much. Yeah,
1: thank you so much. Thank you very
2: much. Okay. And I'm looking forward to meeting. Are you both going to
1: be there? Uh, I will for sure I will hopefully be. <laughs> yeah, Hannah has a... a... Oh, fingers crossed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay, right. bye. bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Yeah! If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com.
0: Follow us on Twitter at YAPodcast, yeah and individually at TeferBear and at the TheBalesasaurus. You can follow Sabina on Twitter at Sabina underscore writer, and Facebook at Sabina Khan author.
1: If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shout-outs, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yeahpodcast to donate. Shout-out to our patrons... Catherine Resch, Erica Stitchberry,
0: uh, Kat McGuire, Chantal Thomas, and Lizzie Tenhove. We have merch! Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at T Public. If you want to see more of our merch, come visit our table at Montreal Yafest on May 26th at the Jewish Public Library.
1: You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts and by sharing this episode with a friend.
0: Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com.
1: This episode was produced and edited by Tom Zalatnai as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. We need to record a new ad for Up for Discussion. What should we tell people? Tell them we're an emotionally honest comedy podcast. Great! What does that mean?
0: It means we're not afraid to get vulnerable, explore the human side of comedy, and try to become better people along the way. And we make poop jokes. So many poop jokes. With
1: tons of awesome guests like Hank Green, Carrie Poppy, and Cecil Baldwin.
0: <laughs> yeah, and poop jokes. The Up For Discussion podcast, available on the Upford Network and wherever fine podcasts are sold.
1: You ever wonder if picking your own name for Secret Santa and then buying yourself a gift makes you a sociopath? Or if everything is everything, then how much of everything is there? Or what exactly a Mo'guana is? Well, that one's just a way of saying more iguana. Or maybe you wonder what the death of a friendship over the course of 50 episodes sounds like. Whatever your questions, you can find the answers and also more questions on Lasers on the Ride podcast. Now a member of the Upford Network, available wherever you usually get your podcasts.